We're going to look at Genesis chapter number 12 and the life of Abraham as he is called out here in Genesis 12. As we think about Abraham, though, Abraham is a unique figure. Abraham's celebrated appeal to mankind crosses religious boundaries. In, but in Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 9, those of us which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Therefore, we should have particular interest in the life and experiences of this man. In the scriptures, Abraham was called both the friend of God in James chapter number 2 and verse 23, and a man of faith in Hebrews 11 and verse number 8. No small honor for a man, someone but flesh. We would be tempted to think of him in almost superhuman terms in some ways. The Jewish and Muslim religions are wont to do just that. However, during the course of our study this evening and in the coming weeks, we'll see that Abraham, while a man of faith and declared as the friend of God, was a man who frequently faltered, a man who often fell, a man who failed in his faith. There is hope when we realize that we can experience the grace of God to the same degree that Abraham did. Indeed, the most rewarding aspect of a study of Abraham is the clear picture of a common man with an uncommon God. In this lesson, we'll see a life of blessing that began with an unusual call to an ordinary man. So Genesis chapter number 12 and verse number 1 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, or to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of, Shik of Sikkim, unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look on. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. 
And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. The first thing that we'll notice this evening is the person of the call. The person of the call. As we look here in Genesis chapter number 12, we see in verse number 1 that God calls Abraham out, or Abram. But if we back up in chapter number 11, and we, we kind of skipped the last several verses of chapter number 11. Last week we were in the beginning of chapter 11. But the remaining part of chapter number 11 is again a genealogy. And this genealogy is given to us and it shows the heritage of Abram. And in verse number 26 we find Abram's father. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The, same, or the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's, or Abram's wife. I'll get that straight one of these days. About the time we get to where God changes his name, I'll get it straight. Where was I? And they went forth uh, with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. In the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we see Abram's place in history, first of all, as we examine this man, the person of this call that God uh, gives upon his life. Abram's lineage is detailed here in Genesis chapter number 11, demonstrating that he descended from the line of Shem. If you were to go back up in chapter number 11, you would see that Shem was his great, 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 however many great, had an added up grandfathers, and was born about, Abraham was born about 300 years after the incident of the flood. Also, Abraham would have lived approximately 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. But not only his place in history, his place in geography, Abram was originally from a city called Ur of the Chaldees. We see that there in the text in Genesis chapter 11. This city was located in modern-day Iraq, where the Euphrates River empties into the Persian Gulf. After the initial call, he travels to Haran with his family, a city that is located in the north of modern-day Iraq, near the headwaters of that same Euphrates River. 
As we think about his family ties, we've seen that Abram descended from the line of Shem. His father was Terah, and he became, ultimately, a hindrance to Abram and Abram's obedience to God. You see, Terah is an idolater. He's one who does not worship Jehovah God. We find that in Joshua chapter number 24 and verse number 2, as Joshua lays out there the gods that before the flood, or before they crossed over the flood, the Jordan River, not speaking of the worldwide flood, but before they crossed over the, the, the flooded banks of the Jordan River, that Abram's father, um, Terah, worshipped other gods. He worshipped idols. And Joshua was speaking there about how they needed to turn from idols. They needed to worship God. But he was referencing the fact that Abram's dad, Abram's father, was an idol worshiper. Abram's brother, Haran, had died. We saw that also in the text, that he dies and Lot is left. And ultimately, Abram is the one who's going to take responsibility for this man, Lot, and we'll find that that is going to cause some wrinkles, some stumbling blocks, some problems in Abram's life along the way. And then we're told of his wife, Sarai. And Sarai was, in fact, his half-sister. And, you know, that sounds a little weird and gross to us, but it's important to remember, right, this is only 300 years after a worldwide flood wiped out everyone except for eight people that were on the ark, right? So... Pickens were a little bit slimmer back then. And it wasn't ultimately until the Mosaic law is given that God forbade the practice of marrying someone who is so close of kin to you. And, of course, now we understand that, right? We have, you can go back in history and you can look at royals, diseases, and all kinds of weird stuff that come from uh, marrying people that are too close to your bloodline and all the, I mean, there's all kinds of other weird problems that come from that too. But... Obviously, at this time in human history, in this day and age, while it sounds weird to us, it was something that was relatively normal in their time. But then as we think about his name, he's called Abram in our text. And in fact, he's called Abram until his name is changed in Genesis chapter number 17 in verse number 5. His name means exalted father. Now, it's a strange name for someone like him. Because the, the text in verse number 30 of chapter 11 very clearly tells us Sarai had no children. So his, his name means exalted father, but he doesn't have any kids of his own. So it's kind of a strange name. But ultimately, later, there in Genesis chapter 17 in verse number 5, God is going to change his name to a father of a multitude. And you know, when God changes his name at that time, it's only in accordance to a promise. It, at that time, it's not in accordance to reality because Abram's name as the father of a multitude is not going to be realized for a while. It's going to be years before that takes place. And when God gives him that promise, he's definitely not the father of a multitude. But it's a promise that's made in faith of the future. But then as we think about Abram, finally we can see his status and let us not forget that Abram was no one special when God called him. He was an average, idolatrous shepherd who couldn't seem to separate himself from his family. 
even when he's commanded by God to do so. And as we think about that, with that in the back of your mind, second of all this evening, we'll see the particulars of the call. We find that in the first three verses of chapter number 12. Now the Lord God had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Now, these verses are a repetition of a covenant and a command that had already been offered to Abraham. The wording of verse number one you notice there is that the Lord had said, past tense. This is something that God has already, a conversation that God has already had with Abram. In chapter number 12, we find Abram finally stepping out in obedience to the command that God has given him. But this is a a command that God has given to him a while before Abram actually follows in obedience. Uh, In Acts chapter number 7, verses 2 and 3, we find that Abram was called when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. That that this conversation had happened way back then, when they were still in Ur of the Chaldees. For some reason, Abram allowed his father to take the lead in leaving Ur, and he went along with him to the wrong place altogether. The location of Haran is far away from the land where God would later lead him. It was not until Terah dies and passes away that Abram is finally able to step out in obedience to God and to go to the land of Canaan. But we find, first of all, as we think about the particulars of this call, that it requires some separation. Some separation. God says there, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Now, it had been a while. God had issued this call, and it took Abram a while to obey. But it required some separation for Abraham to obey. He had to leave the country that he knew. He had to leave the people that he knew. He had to leave his father's house. And when we think about calls that God issues to us, we recognize that really every call of God will have attached a qualifying requirement of separation. That any time God calls us to something, it's always going to require us to separate from something. Now, that may not always be family. It may not always be something big. But always, when God calls, we have to step away from something physical. If you turn to Luke chapter number 14... And we've talked about this verse before. But Luke 14 and verse number 26, Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Anytime we love something more than we love God, anytime we come to God with a a list of requirements. Well, God, I'll step out and I'll follow you. I'll obey you as long as you do this and this. This stays the same. As long as you take care of this, then I'll obey. No, God says that we need to be yielded. We need to be willing to separate. We need to be willing to step out in faith. As we think about separation in regards to a call from God, we'll never be able to enjoy salvation and the blessings of God while you are trying to hang on to the old things 
of the world. Abraham flatly failed in this separation at first. Then he faltered in his obedience by bringing Lot along. God had clearly said to him, right? Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. God had told him to separate. But Abraham ultimately brings Lot along, not fully obeying God. And as we've already mentioned, that's going to cause some serious problems for him in the future. But as we think about the particulars of the call, we see not only did it require separation, second of all, God uh, gave him a destination. There's a destination. And this is where it really starts to get interesting, right? God says to Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto where? A land that I will show thee. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to know where I'm going. If I'm going to pack everything up and I'm going to step out in faith, I like to have a little bit of an inkling of an idea where I'm headed, what I'm getting into. But God just tells Abraham, you need to get out, start going, and I'll show you where I'm taking you. Unto a land that I will show thee. You know, serving God is not just a list of don'ts. Whenever we separate from the world, we are separating to the service and blessings of God. The place that God was calling Abraham to was better than he could have ever imagined. It required some faith along the way, but ultimately God was taking him somewhere that was going to result in unimaginable blessings. The promises that God was going to offer to Abraham were going to be hard to handle, hard to take hold of, hard to place faith in, but ultimately God was going to prove himself faithful. Abraham and Sarah were going to have a son in their old age, past the age of childbearing, when it seemed impossible, God was going to do the impossible for them. God was bringing them to a wonderful destination, but with the eyes of the flesh, it would not have seemed as such. Then we see there's a benediction. God says there in verse number two, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The promise of becoming a great nation is given to a man who still, as of yet, had zero children. The promise of God's blessing, though, here is personal and powerful. And God promised to make the name of Abraham great. God promised to make of him a great nation. And it's kind of crazy to think about this fact, but this is something that's still happening some 4,000 years later. God is still keeping his promise to Abraham. Abraham's seed is still growing. His name is still great. There's people who know of Abraham's name. I mean, seriously, he's some guy who lived like 4,000 years ago, and we know a whole bunch about his life. God has made his name great. God kept his promises to Abraham. Then we see that there's consecration also. He says, and I, or in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God is calling Abraham. He's blessing him, but there's a consecration, a, a setting apart, a special nature to this blessing that God is giving to him. You see, the blessing of God was not for Abraham to enjoy alone. 
God's purpose was for his blessings to overflow to all the families of the earth. There's a lesson here for us. Certainly it's not the main thrust of the text. But there's a lesson here for us how we should treat the blessings that God gives us. We should not hoard the blessings that God piles upon us. We shouldn't be covetous or feel like we deserve them or it's just for us. But we ought to bless other people in, uh, in line with how God has blessed us. This covenant has been referred to as the Great Commission of the Old Testament. That in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Ultimately, this promise that God is giving to him is fulfilled, right, in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham as through the line of Abraham, God is going to send his son, the Messiah, into this world to save us all from our sins, all who will put their faith and trust in him. But not only is there consecration, last of all, under this point, there's protection. We see that in verse number three. I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee. And in thee, he restates this blessing. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We see that there is a special protection that is put upon God's people, upon God's nation the nation of Israel in specific here, God places this this blessing and this curse. And certainly it is interesting to think about. It's interesting to study. And if you begin to go and just study a little bit the history of the nation of Israel, the the, uh, Jewish people, they have experienced great trouble and great turmoil, no doubt. But it would seem, if you look at history, like they should have been wiped out a long time ago. It doesn't really make sense. And the nation of Israel today doesn't really make sense. But yet, it sure looks like God's still keeping his promise to them. And I believe that he is. Certainly, they are still God's chosen people. God has set them aside for a time, but there is a day coming when they will be placed back in their primary place. God is still watching out for his people. Third of all, then, this evening, we see a partial performance of the call. A partial performance. And first of all, we see that there is a step of faith. In verse number four, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. So we see that there is a step of faith here. Right? Abram packs up all of the things that he has, he gathers together those that are with him, and all of their stuff, and they begin to journey. Now, it's a little bit easier for you and I if we want to journey somewhere. If we want to uh, go to Texas or we want to go to Pennsylvania, right, we have lots of options at our disposal. Worst case scenario, uh, to get to Pennsylvania for us, it's a 17-hour drive in a vehicle. And I know we're soft uh, and we complain about things like that. Like, oh man, I can't, it's a 17-hour drive so long. But I mean, really, 
in the scope of human history, we're wimps when it comes to travel. You begin to, to read accounts of people and how they used to travel. I mean, goodness, if you wanted to go to another country on the other side of the ocean, not that long ago either, you had to board a ship, and it would take you weeks. And you might not make it because you might get sunk along the way or run into an iceberg or something like that. Uh, we have it really easy nowadays. But certainly for Abram, this was not a small thing. To pack up all of his things, to load them all on camels and donkeys or whatever, and to make a journey, let, not, not even mentioning the danger involved in such a thing, right? Of exposure to robbers and bandits along the way. But we find that Abram obeys God. His obedience was late. It wasn't when God had given him this command, but it did happen. He did step out in faith. And as we think about that, we can be thankful. You know, oftentimes when God tells me something or tells you something, you've probably noticed this about yourself, we're not always as quick to obey God as we should be. I personally am thankful for the fact that God gives second chances, that God doesn't just, that was it. I gave you a chance and you didn't obey. Done. In fact, later on in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8, Abram's name appears in the, what we refer to as the hall of faith, as God recognizes Abram's faith. But we see not only a step of faith, but an assurance of possession. They go into the land of Canaan, verse number 6, and Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Verse number 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. At last, Abram has seen the land that God is promising to him. He passes through the land on a survey trip. We're told that the Canaanite is there in the land, so certainly there's some obstacles to Abraham receiving this, but the promise was sure. God clearly states there in verse number 7 that he is giving this land to Abram's seed. And certainly, as we think today of the land of Israel, we can recognize that Israel has a divine claim to the land which they partially occupy. And one day... God will sort all of that out. But they, they do actually have a right to that land. And it's not based on human governments or anything like that. It's based on the word of God. So we see not only an assurance of the possession, but we'll see the stumbling block to obedience. And we saw that in verse number 5. As he brings Lot, his brother's son, with him. Even in taking this step of faith, Abram did not totally separate from his kindred and from his father's house, as God had told him to. And we can recognize a principle that whenever we refuse to fully obey God, in Abram's case, when he refused to make total separation, that it cost him. And any time you and I refuse to fully obey God, we'll find that there will be a price tag associated with it. There will be a cost to us. And then we see, last of all, Abram builds an altar of worship. In response to this promise of God, and it's no small thing 
to notice there in verse number 7. It's just plainly stated. The Lord appeared unto Abram. And it's said again at the end of the verse, He builds an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. It's no small thing that God has seen fit to show himself, to reveal himself to Abram. I'm sure it was a comforting thing to him after he stepped out in faith and he's made this great journey to this land that God showed him and he gets there and God shows up. God makes this promise to him, but I'm sure he's glad that he didn't just make a journey for nothing and find out, oh, I was in the wrong place or, oh, God didn't come through on his word. No, God was faithful. God kept his promise. We can be thankful for that today too, that God is faithful to you and me. But in response, Abram builds the first of many altars that he would build. In traveling farther to the south, Abram pauses yet again to build an altar at Bethel. We find that in verse number 8. He removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. That word Bethel means the house of God, the house of God. So Abraham shows up here and he builds another altar and he begins to worship God and call upon the name of God. But mark it down. On our journey of faith, God is interested in receiving our worship. And we see that Abraham, in the midst of his journey of faith, he begins to truly worship God, to call upon his name. And we'll learn more about the life of Abraham. Unfortunately, as we'll see, Abram didn't stay long in the land that God showed him. We read the rest of the chapter. We're not going to get to that tonight. But we, we see that Abram quickly leaves the house of God in favor of um, the eyes of the flesh and satisfying his hungry stomach by his own means. He leaves the house of God and goes to Egypt, the world. One step of faith certainly does not guarantee future performance. You've probably recognized that in your own life, that sometimes we can respond properly to God, we can step out in faith, we can obey Him, but it doesn't mean that any time we're tested in the future that we're going to follow through, that we'll obey properly or quickly like we should, and certainly that's played out in Abraham's life. A few quick questions this evening for you to consider. Number one, have you ever failed God? Have you ever failed God? I think we could all probably agree that we have. Did you take that failure as a finality? Or have you gotten up and continued to serve God? Continued to press forward for Him? Certainly, Abraham experienced failure in his spiritual walk with God. But the thing that's remarkable about Abraham is that he didn't let that stop him. He continued to follow God. He continued to step out in faith, and ultimately, God would honor that. This evening, we can all commiserate with Abraham. We can all recognize the failures of our own self. But don't take that failure as something that's final. We should get up 
and continue to go on for God. Second of all, is there a specific step of faith that God is calling you to take right now? Something that God is pointing out in your life, some area of faith that he desires you to step out in. I encourage you to think about that. And then think about what is that step of faith and how can you practically embark upon it in the next several days. You know, we ought not to be like Abraham when it comes to God giving us a command, God desiring something from us, and us dragging our feet. Certainly any time that we look back in our lives to where God has called us to do something, we feel that struggle often. We feel like, hey, God is calling me to do this. Should, it, should I obey? Should I not obey? But any time we've stepped out in obedience, I think we can all point back to that and say, wow, you know, I'm so glad I did that. Why did I wait so long? I, I should have obeyed God sooner. I should have stepped out in faith because the reality is any time we step out in faith to God's call, in a faithful response to what he's commanded us to do, God comes through. He keeps his part of the deal. And I'm looking forward to looking more at the life of Abraham. Certainly he was, despite his failings, a man who had great faith in God. And every time I read through that there, the beginning of Genesis chapter number 12, that phrase where God says, well, I'm, I'm calling you to step out and go to a land that I will show you. That always just kind of blows my mind a little bit. How mind-boggling, how scary that must have been for him to step out and just, well, I'll, I'll just go. I don't know where I'm going, but I'll just take one step at a time and wait for God to show me in the end where I end up. And, oh, you're here now. But certainly I'm, I'm thankful for Abraham's example of faith.